Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. If you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, we call it Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can welcome to look it up on your phone, and we'll have some of this stuff on the screen as we go. Um, I hope that you're uh, just ready to to embark on a little bit of a journey this morning. For those of you that are with us normally or regularly, uh, just you will not be surprised where we're headed today. We always get to Jesus. We always get to the point at which we need to see how Jesus is needed just as much today as the first time we ever met him. And so I hope today that as you're looking in the Word with us that you will follow along. If you uh, have a desire to take notes but can't keep up because I'm kind of a fast talker, that's okay. You can look in your bulletin you received, and there's my phone number. You can text me, or you can email me, and we will get you the notes if you'd like to have those. So don't struggle so much with that today. Let's just struggle with being attentive to how God is going to speak to us through his word, by his spirit, as we always expect him to do. So I'm going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Uh, before we do, let me explain a couple things. One of the things you're going to find out about our faith family here is that we are really big on, and we're becoming even more big on the idea that we are meant not just to exalt God, but we are created to exalt and worship God in everything we do. And that is first and foremost, but right along with it, to do that rightly, we have to understand that we are created to do that because we are also created to enjoy Him forever. And that everything that we do in our worship and in our adoration, in our exaltation of God and His Son Jesus is is done because we enjoy Him in relationship regularly. So while today is a day that some call Easter, I like to call Resurrection Day, uh, this is a special day in the sense that we celebrate 2,000 or so years ago that Jesus raised from the dead. But honestly, in our faith family, in this tradition of understanding about who Jesus is and what He's done for us and what He's promised to do, we celebrate Resurrection Day every day. This is who we are. We're the people who love Jesus because he first loved us and that he died on the cross because of his love for us so that we could be ushered into his family, adopted into his family, brought near to him because of the blood he shed on the cross, that his death ensured our resurrection and that when he resurrected over Satan, sin, death, and hell, he defeated all those things for us, that we now have a way to be with him forever. And that's what we celebrate today. Amen? Now, some of you are used to me. Some of you are not. I like interaction. I heard a lot more on this side of the room interacting right then. So we're going to have to amp this side up a little bit. Don't quiet down this side. I want this side to amp up. So when I ask a question and pause, I really want a response. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Good. You're catching up, but you're not there yet. All right. Here we go. Um, I want us to understand before we get too far into this. I'm going to tell you something today that I don't think you're going to like to hear at first because I don't think that you're going to want to admit this about yourself, but it's the truth. And I think you will, as we go on, you'll understand what I'm saying. But if you're not careful, you can kind of, I don't know, you can kind of take it a little light and not go deep enough. But let me just say it in the hard way and then I'll back into it with some examples. Every single one of us, and listen, I'm not trying to say this in order to get you to like admit to something you don't believe. I'm going to say it whether you believe it or not, and then I'm going to back into it a little further where you'll understand what I'm saying. But and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be kind of super, trying to get your interest by saying this. It's just the truth that every single one of us regularly either struggles with, fights with, or gives ourselves over to being enslaved to something that we were never meant to be enslaved to. Every day, all the time, we have this struggle or we don't struggle. Some of us struggle a lot, some of us struggle a little, some of us don't struggle at all in those things, we just let it go. But there's a few of them I want to give examples of to kind of get across to you what I mean by that. Let me give you a few. One of those is image, image. 
We all struggle with image. Otherwise, you would not have all brushed your hair and brushed your teeth, and I'm very thankful you did, right? Because we care what people think about us. We do it for our health. We also do it for others. Um, I, I made the joke earlier in the early service, and I don't know if it'll play as well here, but where I was before um, in the mountains, you couldn't get away wearing this kind of clothing up there and not be looked at kind of funny. Um, I love the South because we can wear colors. It's kind of fun, don't you think? So we like image because a lot of us got new outfits before we came in today. A lot of us are dressing up our kids. We get our pictures done and we put them on Facebook like that's life all the time and we know it's not, right? (laughs) Image is important to us. We want people to see it. We don't really notice it until somebody sees through the image we portray that's not real. And then we recognize how we're kind of enslaved to creating a false image of ourselves. Um, What about this one, success? A lot of us like to be successful, Some of us really strive hard for that in our careers, in our relationships, just in our skills, whether you go to the gym and you try to outdo somebody else, or whether it be uh, like me, I'm a broken old guy trying to be a softball coach for an 800 girl softball team, and uh, Chad, who's the real coach, um, who's in the early service, I kind of pointed him out, I like to fire the ball at him really hard like we still got it, you know, (laughs) 800 girls softball team. Um, We want to be successful, and that takes out doing somebody else, and we like doing that. But you know what? We're really honest with ourselves, and everywhere we're really trying to be successful, we never really attain as far as our hopes are set, do we? We never really get to the end goal we want to be at. We may get satisfied at a certain level, but we never really get as far as we want or as we don't do as well as we want. Success is really unattainable in its fullest in most things in this life. What about materialism? Most of you might say, I never struggle with that but until somebody scratches your car, right? Or until somebody like turns off cable at your house when you're watching your shows, right? We don't like stuff. We don't have a big thing running into stuff and somebody takes our stuff away or messes our stuff up. But even there, we're never satisfied. Whatever you get, it loses its luster quickly. You want more of that thing or you want something else. It's never enough, whatever it is. Uh, and, and here's one that most of us would like to say that yeah, this is a good thing. We want our independence. I mean, it's kind of inbred in us, isn't it? I mean, I don't mean inbred, but like bred in us, right? Independence is part of our nation. It's what we talk about being independent. We like that idea. But here's what happens. We strive hard to be independent, and then we wonder what's wrong with us because we feel so lonely all the time. Because we're not created for independence. We're created for interdependence. We're created to be in relationship with others. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been in relationship with one another. And we are created in God's image. So therefore, we're created to be in relationship. And what we do by striving to be independent, to show how strong we are, how much we've got it together, how well we can do, we end up pushing ourselves away from people where we don't have real relationships. Maybe even in our own homes, where there's this false dichotomy there that we think we have to be a certain way in our homes and we can't be real because we have to hold a certain image, or we have to succeed to a certain level, or we have to act like we've got it all together. The truth of the matter is, all this is based in the one real truth that's undergirding all of this, is that we're actually enslaved to our sin. Now, for those of you that don't hear that word often, the word sin just simply means to miss the mark. It means that we were created by a creator who created us to image him. That's what it says in Genesis 1, that we were created in the image of God. That means that we are created to image him, which means that we are created to not just look like him because he's a spirit, not a physical body, God the Father. We are created to image him in his moral perfections, 
We're created to image him, but in the sense of like we're the mirror. His glory, his beauty, his goodness shines on us as his creation, and therefore we should shine it back to him for his honor and praise, as well as shine it to others. But we're like broken mirrors who aren't doing it very well, not as we should. So we've missed the mark. In fact, we don't just miss the mark, we actively rebel against God every time we don't do what we should and every time we do what we shouldn't. And you know what happens with the king whenever you rebel against the king? It's off with your head. So we deserve to be punished in an extreme way for rebelling against the king, the one who created us. Just like if I had a tool that didn't work and I created it to be a certain way, I would maybe try to fix it, but if it was really broken, I would just trash it and get another one. That's what we do today, right? And that's exactly what God should do with us. However, he loves us so much, even in our sinfulness, that he decided to love us to the point of sending his one and only son, who is worth more than all of creation. It's for by him, through him, and for him, all things have been created. He's the the author of creation that way. He's the one who painted it all. And the painter's always worth more than the painting. He's the, he can do it again. He can make more of it. So he's always worth more. And the one who's worth more than all of creation came to become one of us, to humble himself, to live the life perfectly that we cannot, to then die the death that we deserve so that we could bring us into the family that we don't deserve. Because God and us have been separated because of our missing the mark, because of us being sinners. And so because we're separated... We cannot be in a good relationship with him. We deserve his wrath. Jesus is fully God who became fully man and together in his one person brought us back together in his person. And on the cross, dying in our place, he enabled a path through his work by his effort for his praise that we can become once again reunited or reconciled, redeemed to be in relationship with God the Father. That's what we celebrate today and every day. As Christians, every day. This is who we are. It's this weird thing where we're these Christian people that love to hear how sinful we are, which is weird. And then we love to hear how great Jesus is that he overcame that. And that's why we like it. Because we know it's true. And we love the Savior who loved us so much he would give his life for us. Apart from Jesus, we're all enslaved to sin. And first chapter of the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he addresses a bunch of cool things in light of that. In fact, verse 3 through 14 is one long sentence. We're not going to cover the whole thing today. We've already studied some of that. You can go back and listen on our podcast. But you can check out right here just real quick. Look in verse 3, and we'll kind of walk down to verse 7 where we're starting. I want us to understand the whole thing here starts off with a little salutation that Paul writes to the people he's writing. And then in verse 3, he jumps straight into worship. He worships the Father. He's like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, he's given us everything because he gave us Jesus. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he chose us. Notice all the times that he's acting and we're being the one acted upon. That he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, or in Jesus. You see, he's done all that he's done. Everything he's done for his glory, for his majesty to be made much of, he's done all that so that he could bless us with Christ, who is the sum of all things, the sum of all blessings put together in one. 
the overarching blessing to us. He's, a, he's determined he would choose us before the foundation of the world, and he determined that he would adopt us into his family before the foundation of the world in love for us. Even while we were sinners, he loved us that much. Look at verse 7. This is where we pick up our text for today. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which was set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Let me pray for us before we go any further. God, I ask today that you would guide us, that you wouldn't just guide us, but that you would open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the truth. That, Lord, we oftentimes think we understand things and we can do it with our intellect and our logic, but every bit of us is tainted with our sinfulness. So, Lord, we ask that you would steer our hearts and minds to understand what you're trying to tell us, that we would respond in obedience, and that through it all today, we would be shaped more into the right image of Christ that we are created to example and to image. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending us your one and only Son that Although he's worth more than all of creation, he would give himself for us that we might be brought back into your family. Lord, thank you. Help us this morning. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's go back and look at this text, verse 7 through 10. I want you to really understand a a little part of this at the very end, and we're going to unpack it further. Look at verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Let me take a few words. Redemption. That word comes from the idea of slavery back 2,000 years ago in in the realm in which this was written. And, And it wouldn't just be slavery like we know in our history here. But a lot of times people would enter into slavery in, in this time in order to pay off a debt or take care of their family. They would indenture themselves. And the, uh, the idea here in redemption is that somebody would come that loved them and cared for them or wanted to do something nice for them. And they would actually pay the owner of that slave to buy that slave and then free them. That's what the idea of redemption is. We don't really have that terminology here. We know redemption in our world usually means to have another chance. You can have redemption. You can be changed and have another chance. We mean that you redeem some coupons, right? We know that idea. But it's a little different back then. The redemption is a little more of a big thing. In fact, it goes all the way back in the Bible, back to the, the book of Exodus, where we see Moses. You probably heard that name. Moses was helping the Israelites, God's chosen people, to exit out of slavery in Egypt. And as he's leading the people out, they uh, don't like it too much the whole way through. But the picture of it that he gives in the scriptures is a picture of redemption, that they've been purchased out of slavery. They've been ransomed out of slavery, and they're able to be freed and redeemed out of that by the work of God. And that's just a precursor to Jesus coming, who ultimately redeems us. And everything in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices, all that stuff was made to show redemption through actions that would never ever really suffice to redeem. It has showed the need for the Savior and Him being a sacrifice for us so that we could be brought into good standing with God. All that points back to that thing. And here we see in Him, in verse 7, in Jesus we have redemption through His blood, through His death on the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. That mystery, real quick, is just the fact that, that the, it's not just for Israel. It's not just for the Jews. 
that the whole idea the whole time, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, is that they would be a blessing to all the nations, and that it includes all the nations. The New Testament is where Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, was sent by God to go and take the gospel, the good news about Jesus, outside of Jerusalem, not just to the Jews, but also to all the nations. And so that mystery has now been revealed, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will, verse 9, according to his purpose, hear this, this is where it gets good, according, not that it's not good already, it's great, but here we go, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, here's the purpose, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So what does he mean by that? These are questions we should ask, read scripture, and it says to unite all things in him. Why is that the purpose? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Here's what you do when you're not sure what it's saying. You find that same word. If you go back, I know most of you won't do this. If you go back to the Greek and look up this word, you'd find it comes one more time in the New Testament in Romans chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 13, verse 9. And in Romans, that same word is used. Listen to this verse that word is found in. It's translated differently. Listen. For the commandments... Paul says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up, that's the word, okay, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying all these commandments are summed up, they're united for one purpose, they're summed up for, in one word, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So take that idea back here to help us understand, look in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time, here's the purpose, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, to sum up all things in Christ, to sum up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. It's still kind of hard to understand. So what does it mean that he's, what's the sum of all things? Let's put it in our vernacular. What does everything add up to? That's better, right? Sum it up, add it up to, put it all together to make one big point. Jesus, that's what it all points to. Okay, go back and look at that again, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, in him. So it's going to be all things are going to sum up to point to the, the majesty and the exaltation of Christ, to make much of Jesus. This is all to point to Jesus, to his greatness, to his goodness, to his value. All these things are in that way. In other words, Jesus is the sum of all things. All things find their purpose in him. That sounds a little weird to say that out loud, so let me put it just a little more clear for us, I think. To understand what that means, it means this, that you and I have a purpose, And our purpose ultimately is to find our purpose in Jesus, to know him and to love him because he wanted to know us so much and be in family with us that he would come become one of us and die in our place on the cross so that we could be brought into his family, taking our punishment, all the punishment all of us deserve. He took it on the cross and drank it down to the bottom of the cup so that he could endure all of hell, all of all the eternal hell we should endure. He endured it all on the cross for every one of us for as many people are being saved, all that down at once so that he could bring us into the kingdom. Now, that's the kind of love that defines what love is. And so he, therefore, should be exalted for doing that. It should be made much of, and everything we do should point to that thing, that moment, that experience, that person, ultimately, because of what he's done for us and who he is. 
That's what it means. Look at the verses again. Making known to us, verse 9, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. He did all this stuff. You go back to the very beginning of that part, blessed be God the Father, because he, he chose us, he adopted us, he, he, he's, he's redeemed us, so that the purpose, that he could bring us all together to sum it all up and point to Jesus. It's pretty easy when you read Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it backs it up. It's what you do, let scripture interpret scripture, right? Listen to this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, listen, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, we are enemies of God, and he brought peace by the sacrifice of himself on the cross and made a way. So if you don't take anything else away from today, I'm going to give you kind of our thesis statement. You might find as you begin to ask the Lord to reveal it to you, as you begin to look inwardly about things you might enslave yourself to, you might find some things that you find are enslaving you. And what I want you to do today through this time and and, and on as you leave is to just continually come to Jesus and be set free. Come to Jesus and be set free. Because he's our only redemption. He's our only relief. We're going to back it out and walk through it again. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. To be redeemed means to be set free, right? In Jesus we have redemption. We have been set free through his blood, through his death on the cross. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That means that we are forgiven. So it's the great exchange, Martin Luther calls it, that when when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself, and he was declared sin. So that he could then die in our place, taking all the wrath, and he declared us, those who believe in him, he declared us righteous, even though we're not. He declared us to be perfect, even though we are not. It's called alien righteousness. So he declares us that. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't look at us and see our sin, even though we're still sinners at heart. He's declared us righteous so that when he sees our sin, he doesn't want to punish us. He sees instead the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that when he sees us, he loves us and can be in relationship with us because Jesus already took the punishment in our place. That is good news. That is good news for us. Now we can be reunited with the one who created us and be with him forever because of what he's done. In fact, I'll say it like this. In Christ, we've been set free from the penalty of sin. From the penalty of sin. Jesus is our redemption. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says it like this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says it in a different way. He says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, listen, wisdom from God, righteousness, he became our righteousness, sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Or Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It's through his blood, his sacrifice, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. When you hear that language, that's what it means. Through his blood, our sins are removed because he sees us as clean now so that we can be in a relationship with God. And why that's, why that's important, listen, Hebrews 9, 22, another letter written to the, the Hebrew people. He says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. In other words, if you ever wonder why it's so weird that in the Old Testament, you go back and see all the stuff going on in the temple and, and the tabernacle before the temple. They would go in and, and they would throw sacrificed animal blood on things to purify it. Weird, right? But here's the reason why. He says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why? If you're back in another part of the Old Testament, it says that in the blood is the life. Okay, so it symbolizes our life. And so those animals were sacrificed, and the blood spread to say that blood then purifies us. And that's ridiculous. No animal blood could ever purify human beings. And so it pointed to the need for a sacrifice that was worthy, that was worth enough, that that blood would take the punishment and that life given to absolve us of our sins. You see? And that's what Jesus did for us on the day we celebrate today, 2,000 or so years ago. So today I ask you, don't live under the penalty of sin and the fear of death anymore. You don't have to worry about it. Because of what Jesus did... Because we did 2,000 years ago, there's no fear of death. When you die, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, you close your eyes, and the next moment you open them in the presence of God. You never have to deal with death. Death has lost its sting. There is no more death to get you. You close your eyes, and here we see it as death. But as Jesus said to the thief on the cross next to him before he died, today you'll be with me in paradise. Death is gone. There's no more fear. He's taken the penalty of our sin on himself, and he died in our place so that we don't have to. Praise the Lord, the risen King, Jesus, did that for us. That's something that drives us to worship and love him. Secondly, in Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin. Not just the penalty, but the power of sin. Listen, I'm specifically talking to those that, that, that already know Jesus. There's someone here, statistically, there's some of you who don't know Jesus. I know that. I'm talking to those of you that do know Jesus. You do not have to endure, you do not have to give yourself over to, you do not have to imbibe, you do not have to partake in the sin that you used to be enslaved to because you've been set free. Do not give the reins of power and control back to the enemy. You've been bought with the blood of Christ and it is worthy, it is worthy, do not give yourself over. Do not do that anymore. Listen, in Christ we've been set free. Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Or in John 8, Jesus' words, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In John 8.36, two verses later, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You're free if you're in Christ. You do not have to submit to that slavery anymore. Don't give yourself over to it. Some of you in here are saying, yeah, but I've tried. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. And I'm telling you, there is hope, not in you. There's hope in Jesus. He's already defeated sin on the cross. And now he's applying it to you through the powerful Holy Spirit. And he can defeat it in your life now if you'll run to him. Not in your own right, but if you'll run to him. 
You're no longer enslaved. So listen to the scripture, Romans 6, 5 through 14. You should just memorize. I know it sounds crazy. Memorize the whole chapter 6 of Romans. This will help you just to, to lean on the word, right? Make that your aim. Yeah, I know. We're going to try it. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, that we have, when you're born again, you are dead to your sins, what the Bible says. So if we've been united with him in a death like his, like Jesus, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's good news. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You see, you've been redeemed. You've been freed. Don't go back to that. In fact, my favorite old day guy, John Owen. You thought I was going to say J.C. Ryle, didn't you? John Owen's really my favorite dead old guy, old day guy. Here's how he says it. He says, do you mortify? In other words, do you kill the sin within you? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that's what it does. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your family. Your choices always impact more than just you. You best be killing sin lest it be killing you. So kill your sin daily, brothers and sisters. Do not do anything except hate the sin that drove Jesus to the cross. Do you understand? It put in there. How can we love it? It put in there. How can we joyfully go to it? It drove Jesus to the cross. Don't dabble and play with that which demands your life. Kill the sin that killed your Savior. And when you feel as though the strength is not in you, run to Jesus and he shall fight for you. He's already won. You're going to the one who's king over it. That's the problem we think we can handle. I think I can handle it. I can't let anybody in that will kind of walk with me. I mean, I, I, I run to God and pray, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Instead, run to him and say, Lord, you've already defeated this in Jesus. Would you just show me what you've done for Christ? Fill me with the love that I need to understand right now that he had for me on the cross. And when I began to see this, this is what these old dead guys would say is vivification. Mortification is killing the sin. The way that happens is by setting your eyes and your heart on the Lord. Lord, remind me of what Jesus did. Remind me of his temptation, yet he overcame on the cross for me in my place and let that love seep down into your heart and overwhelm you to the point where it kicks out that desire for sin that's the mortification here's how it works psalm 71 1 through 3 in you O lord do i take refuge let me never be put to shame in your righteousness deliver me and rescue me incline your ear to me and save me be to me a rock of refuge to which i may continually come you have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress you are not rocks brothers you are not rocks sisters don't think you can handle things run to the king 
Run to the Savior. Run to, run to the Redeemer. Listen, Exodus 14, 14, we talked about that earlier where God's bringing out the Israelites with Moses. One of my favorite verses, just for, I just love this verse. It reminds me of who I am and where I need to be. They get backed up against the sea, and here come the Egyptians after them. They're like, oh, man, you brought us out here for nothing. We're just going to die. They're just complaining, you know, unlike church people today. They're just complaining, complaining the whole way. And as they're going out there, and they get backed up against the wall of the water, right? They're like, oh, you brought us out here to die. Here they come. And here's what God says. Listen to this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be silent. He's basically saying, shut up and watch, right? I'm going to do this for you. And that's our problem is that we don't shut up and let the Lord do the work in our hearts. It is not good. Do not go back to the slavery. Do not go back to the yoke of slavery. Come to Jesus and be set free. Come to Jesus. Do not defame your name in Christ. Do not trample on the blood of Jesus with your sin. Do not run to places that, that the Lord died to keep you from, to save you from. Run to Jesus. Let him be your strength. Let him be your redeemer. Come to Jesus and be set free. Thirdly, in Christ, we've been set free, not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but also from earning our own self-worth. So many of us are trying to earn our self-worth. We're trying to earn our value whether it be in how many things we try to accomplish in the day, whether it be all the goals that we think we need to hit in our career, whether it be all the things that we thought we had to do for somebody else. We've got all these things lined up, and we're going to earn our value of somebody, and we fail miserably at that often, don't we? We hate ourselves for it. Listen, you don't have to earn your self-worth before the Lord. Listen, go back and look. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Look, it's not that he's going to lavish. He's already lavished his good grace upon us. The riches of his grace have been given to us in Christ. They're already ours. We're not waiting for the next thing, the big boat to come in or for the lotto to hit. We have Jesus. That's enough. For us. In him, in that way, we have worth. The reason we have worth, now listen, church, the reason we have worth in that is because the one who's worth more than all of creation died for you. So he declares that you're worth it. His life. That's worth more than anything else you could ever accomplish. So you don't listen to the lies in your head or from the enemy or for someone else that you're not worthy. You're not worthy intrinsically in yourself. You're worthy because Christ declares you worthy and died for you on the cross. And that makes you worthy. Not how many times you accomplish this task or because you do all these goals. It's because Jesus says you're worthy enough for his life. That makes you worthy. That's enough. If that's not enough, nothing will ever be enough. There's nothing more worthy than that. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now, because of what Jesus did, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Don't condemn yourself. Believe the gospel. Believe the truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Come to Jesus and be set free, brothers. Come to Jesus and be set free, sisters. Come to Jesus and be set free for the first time, you who don't know Jesus yet. Turn to him today. Come and be set free. Romans 6. Remember I told you it's a good one. 20 through 23. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we've been given an estimable value value beyond our measure so we are free from earning our own worth. Don't try to do it and figure it out yourself and get your own worth. It'll never be good enough. But Jesus is already good enough. Come and be set free. Come to Jesus. Lastly, in Christ, not only do we see that we don't have to earn our own self-worth, not only do we see that we don't have to worry about the penalty of sin or the power of sin anymore, but in Christ, we've been set free from finding our own purpose. Look back in verse 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Our lives have purpose because God has given us purpose in Christ. Too many of us are still trying to figure out what our purpose is. We always ask little kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? Most of us still don't know what we're going to be when we grow up. Aren't we still trying to figure that out? Who I'm going to be, how it's going to end up, where I'm going to put my hope, what I'm going to look for today to be my, the thing I get my value from. Man, Jesus has been here all along. Come to Jesus. And be set free. Look, he wants us to be united to him. He wants us in his family. He wants us to know him and be known by him at every level in every way. He already knows all your junk and he still wants you. He already knows everything about you. He knew everything you would do before he ever went to the cross. He's God, fully God, fully man. He knows it all. And he's got purpose for you. The purpose is to know him. It's like going back to remember when you fell in love the first moment of that when you realize you're in love and everything in you wanted to just do everything it took to spend all your time with that person to just spend all your maybe it was the first time you looked at a child and you saw them maybe the first time you looked at your spouse or maybe when you recognize how much your parents love you remember you just wanted to be with them constantly that's he wants you to want him like that because he wants you to be with him forever so he came and died on the cross so that he could make that happen he gave his life worth more than everything so that he could bring you into the family and be with him for all eternity He's given everything. He wants you that bad. Listen, Ephesians 2. A little bit later on, Paul says it like this in verse 12 on. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated, alienated from the, the, those that were a part of the called out people, right? He says, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus died on the cross in your place, because he has made that real to you by his Holy Spirit, today in the preaching of his gospel, he's told you again, because he's doing that right this moment, but now in Christ, you who once were far off, enemies with God, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the good news. You don't have to find it anywhere else. He's here for you now through his word. He's piercing your heart with the truth of the gospel. All you have to do is come to Jesus and be set free. Turn to him and put your hope and faith in him. God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Turn to Jesus. Turn back to him right now. 
It may be the first time you've heard this in your life. Maybe it's the first time this ever made sense. Or maybe it's the millionth time and you've been a believer for years, but there's things you need to turn from and turn to Jesus and be set free today. Be set free. Put your hope in him, not those things. Quit trying to hide who you are. Quit trying to hide all the stuff you've been doing and be found in Jesus. It's enough. Quit trying to make something of yourself and see that God has made so much of you, so very much of you in Jesus. Today's the day of redemption. Today is the day to come to Jesus and be set free. Don't put it off. Deal with him right now. I'm about to pray for us, and when I do, I want you to be praying. Look, you don't, you don't have to come to me. I'll be standing down here when we sing in a moment, but you don't have to come to me to pray. I'm not your intermediary. Jesus is. Because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, and he is risen still. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, so that when you turn and put your hope and faith in him, he says, Father, that one's mine. I died for him. I died for her. And those sins are wiped clean. I took them all on the cross. So love them. Give them what they need right now. Give them yourself. Turn to Jesus and be set free, brothers. Turn to Jesus and be set free, church. Turn back to him today for the first time, for the millionth time. Don't walk out of here without coming to Jesus today. He came for us. He stepped out of eternity to come for us and show you what it means to love. Let's love him back and be set free. Put your hope in him. I'm going to pray for us. I invite you to pray as well. At the end, I'll be down here for the rest of the morning until everybody's gone. I'll be here to pray with you during the song. I'll be here afterwards. Just don't not deal with the Lord. Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness as it's been found and given to us in Jesus. Lord, all the things we've ever yearned for are just shadows of the greatness and the, the joy-fulfilling nature and person of your son, Jesus. They're all there, even the good ones. Uh, They're all there to give a a glimmer of what we can find in Christ, your son. Help us to see some of that truth today. Turn our hearts to you. Would you make us to where we can understand and where we can turn to you and find our hope and find our joy and find our freedom in you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.